1: Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli.
2: I'm Mats Wilander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast.
1: It's three minutes to midnight, and uh, Madrid is over. Catherine is eating her Twiglets. And she's safely back in her apartment after spending a week presenting live television coverage of the tournament in Madrid. How's it been out of 10, Catherine?
3: Oh, better since I've had my twiglets. Um, Yeah. Do you mean my experience of it or my sort of objective assessment of the tournament's quality?
1: Oh, crikey. Can we have both?
3: (laughs) Uh, Oh, good. I mean, I would say the... (laughs) What's our benchmark? What's our metric? You weren't expecting Ooh. it. It's te- ten out of ten, David. It's all been yeah. great. Move on to is, Matt.
1: Is Miami the benchmark? Uh, yeah, Matt. Uh, what have you made of it? I see. I've I've kind of for, for quite a lot of the tournament. I told you on Thursday that I've just enjoyed it because I've just been sort of watching it without working on it, other than recording the podcast, and I think that's meant that I've just been able to really soak it up. Yeah. No. I think.
2: It's been good. Um, I've had some issues with the scheduling, which I've found difficult to overcome. I, I really don't like the way they scheduled the tournament, front heavy for the women and then sort of piling up all those important men's matches at the end. I thought the fact that the women's final was scheduled between the men's semifinals was, was not right, really. But a lot of good tennis was played, that's for sure.
1: Mm. Yeah a lot of different tennis as well because of its altitude that tournament i I think that that is one of the things that is going to be very interesting to follow over the next two or three weeks is whether any of the results that we've seen in madrid Mm. feel relevant to what comes later that that's always been an issue hasn't it um so let's start with that women's final because I agree with you, it's a a bit of a shame the way the scheduling ended up placing it in the tournament, but at the same time, that had such a big match feel to it. That felt, Irina Sabalenka against Ash Barty, as the perfect final in a way, because of all the build-up, the fact that they they've played several times. In the end, it was um, it was Arena Sabalenka who who won the title six loves three six six four. Her, really took me back that this was her tenth title. I had no idea that Irina Sabalenka had won that many um, for a player who hasn't gone what beyond the fourth round of a Grand Sun tournament. But Catherine, your your assessment of what you saw from from Sabalenka in that final? Because, I mean, it was it was not straightforward, but it was quite a sight.
3: Yeah, well, first set was kind of exactly what you predicted. Um, just breathtaking, bulldozing tennis. Um, unplayable. Unplayable for this world number one, I think. Un- unplayable for any world number one in history. Just unplayable, that first set, 6-love to Sabalenka. And then...
1: What was she doing?
3: Just hitting the ball very hard in all the right places. <laughs> I mean, that's... That's,
1: what, <laughs> That'll usually get that's what
3: winning points is all about, isn't it? <laughs>
2: <laughs> there was one return which knocked Barty over.
3: Yeah, I mean... It, I was it, driving
2: yeah. at this point.
1: Blimey.
3: Yeah, it was breathtaking stuff it was make you gasp tennis except except it wasn't even that surprising because that's the tennis should be playing she'd been playing all week it's just it was just surprising that it was the world number one down the other end of the court and Barty just stayed so calm she didn't panic about losing a set six love um she started slicing more started manoeuvring and manipulating the ball a bit better and she started making Sabalenka have doubts, have a bit of a wobble like she did in the latter stages against Pavlyuchenkova in the semi-final. And even a few weeks ago, I think Arena Sabalenka would have lost that match from the, from the point of being a set-all. From the point of having won a set-six love and probably thinking, well, this is easy. Title here, I come. Slightly weird glass vase trophy. We, they might as well start engraving it now. And suddenly she's she's a set all. Um, and I think, I think even a few weeks ago, it could all have got away from her from that point. And I'm so impressed that in that third set, she. She came out out on top and it wasn't in the same manner that she came out on top in the first. She didn't just bulldoze over Barty. She had to hang tough and be patient and be focused and wait for her opportunity. And these are not words that we associate with Arena Sabalenka. So set one was kind of, although set one was the, might be what we remember that performance for, Actually, set three was the most important part of that performance. Set three is what will make Arena Sabalenka a Grand Slam champion if she ends up becoming one. It won't be the bulldozing tennis because she's kind of always had that. You know, we've all been we we all at some point have predicted that she she'd either win slams or reach finals on the basis of matches we'd seen her play where she just bulldozes people and looks unplayable. It was what we saw in set three that's new for me and that will take her to a level that we've not yet seen, I think.
2: I completely agree with that. I think of all the score lines that I might have predicted or expected, Sabalenka in three was was probably the least likely for me. I thought it was possible she would bulldoze Barty in two. I thought it was possible she might not show up. She might have a shocker and Barty would win in two. I thought it was possible that if Barty extended it into a third set, she would be the one able to hang around and and be gritty and able to win the match in three. So the fact that Savalenka's won it in three was surprising to me and really impressive from her. Um, Because as it it happened, as you said, she did have to play brilliant, brilliant tennis with all of her firepower. But she also had to really compete. And we saw that in that third set. And... um, Yeah, I mean, we've speculated on Thursday's podcast, what can you do when when Sabalenka is playing like that? Can Ash Barty do anything? And we got the answer in the first set that no, you can't. The answer is you cannot do anything to that tennis from Sabalenka. But I suppose what you can do is what Barty did, which is just stay completely focused, engaged in the match, keep your head and be ready to pounce if the level does drop. and. Inevitably, it did a little bit. One unforced error from Sabalenka in the first set, 14 from her in the second set. So I think in many respects, Barty probably played the match she was hoping to play. She was calm. She used that slice. She did disrupt Sabalenka a little bit. But there was always a part of the match which was out of her control. And the final stages of that match, Sabalenka had a surge, a Naomi Osaka-esque surge, where she won the last 11 points of the match. And there was kind of nothing Barty could do about it, which must be an uncomfortable feeling as the world number one. But it's kind of the reality of that incredible tennis that Sabalenka can play. Mm.
1: Little moments of graduation in that third set where mm. she's just about hanging on because Barty's having the upper hand. I mean, that third set, Barty was the better player for the first half of it, and the score just wasn't showing that in terms of games. And it was quite interesting listening to the commentary, um, I think it was Sam Smith and Annabelle Croft talking about how exhausting it must be to be making that much emotional noise and that much effort and every every feeling you have is, is there for all to see on Sabalenka, whereas Bart is quietly going about her work down the other end and not, expending all that energy. And, and it did start to make me wonder, well, I reckon there are matches in the past that she's just combusted in the, in these situations and, and kind of either been made to beat herself or she has just capitulated. And on this occasion, she just around, about hung around long enough and has that ability to suddenly find it again and strike and forget it she has a forget it game you know if you if she's on there ain't much you can do because it's not just power it's direction it's and it's sometimes very very difficult to predict which way she's going that's another little thing she has in common with with Osaka I don't think it's quite as as um sorcerous in its angles but but I still don't know where the ball's going sometimes and then it's just gone, you know, and and she makes, I mean, Barty did a fantastic job to make that a good match because she has been steamrolling really, really good players all all week long. And that's what, that's, I picked her to to win the title halfway through that Kasichina first round match because Kasichina is a good player, you know, and she was just making her look like a hacker.
3: Mm. Yep. You went there, David.
1: Well, I mean, look, I can't say I would have picked it from the draw. You know, I, it was just a feeling in that match. You know, I, 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 had we been looking at the draw at the start of the match, I don't think I would have said is going to win the tournament at all. Um, you know, and I think that that's, that's where you get the benefit of seeing these matches. But um, why are you looking at me like that, Catherine? <laughs> what? I've I've seen
3: more gracious
2: victories. Put it that way, <laughs> <laughs> D- David. A question for you. Yeah, go on. Does it make you feel differently about picking Sabalenka for slams, for example, the French Open? Because for me, I'm 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 very aware of what you said at the start of this show. How relevant are the Madrid results going to be? Because the conditions mm. are such an outlier there. But I think for me, I I need to see her do it at a slam before I can pick her to do it at a slam, if that makes sense. That the pressure there is different, it's bigger, and she's not been beyond the fourth round, as you said. I mean, she's only pretty much lost to Serena, Muguruza, Barty this year, I think Kanepi once as well. And I've I've seen her be able to put this incredible tennis together now for several matches in a row, which I feel like I feel like she hasn't really done that before consistently, and she's doing that now. But... If we're if we're talking next level, for me the slams she still doesn't quite sit alongside the absolute favourites because she'd have to come out of nowhere at those events and it, it's been done, but I'm not going to pick it. But I don't know how you feel about that.
3: Can I give you a Matt esque stat, please? No player has ever reached the top five in the world without reaching a Grand Slam quarterfinal. And Sabalenka is now number four in the world as a result of her exploits
2: this week. You dropped that stat on Prime and I gasped.
1: It was so good. (laughs) Oh, I I assumed you'd given her that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) No, I have to correct... Max... um, Max primes stat stat man in the gallery who hopefully keys through to me in my ear all all throughout the day with stats hoping that I don't already have them and every t- every time I end up going yeah yeah I've yeah Matt gave me that yeah I've got that yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and Matt's like oh you and your bloody superpower Matt Roberts and he finally had a killer stat <laughs> They didn't already have
1: a mm. That is that is an incredible stat, isn't it? To to answer your question, Matt, I mean, I would put still put the French Open as the fourth most likely breakthrough for her. Oh, wow. I, I don't. I, I in don't Wibbledon. Yes, yeah, I, I don't see her being the favourite for the French Open. I think it's such have, have a different. Have you ever seen
3: her in, play on grass, David? Are you yeah. doing a? Are you doing a a Corder?
1: <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> yes, I have. Okay. I think she didn't. She reach the at final win, Eastbourne. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Okay. Yeah.
1: I think. Look, you, you, when she starts hitting those strokes, I I always have Wuhan in mind when I when hmm. I think of of her on a fast
3: Wuhan Bolden.
1: Yeah, I always think of her on a fast surface, and that's what she can do with it. Um. So I, I think she's got more chance at the others. But I but, had
3: Wuhan in mind when I picked her to win the Australian Open two years. Ago. You know, we've
1: all been burned. But she's further down the line mm. now. I mean, yeah, you know, no, I, the, the, I, she's better I agree
3: with both. Of you. I completely agree. I was completely swept up in her tennis. I think this is a significant and lasting step forward. I don't mm. think this is a flash in the pan. But equally, until I see her do it, I might not be predicting her to do it because one's one's bitten twice, right? Although, uh, Matt, you are always the one that when we have this discussion about Sabalenka, you point out that she's had some rough draws and she's actually lost to very good players a lot of the time in, in slams. Sort of results that on paper, you know, second round, third round, don't look great. She's losing to very good players.
2: Yeah, I don't think she's had a really bad slam loss and I think she's transferred that now to the tour. She's not losing unless she's, as I said, losing to Barty, Muguruza, Serena.
3: She's not losing to Kizmova.
2: <laughs> well. Not many people are. <laughs> <laughs> In doubles, though, it'd be different. Thank you, David.
1: Yeah, that's, that's what Matt meant all those years ago. He <laughs> meant the doubles. Anyway. Um. Yeah. I, I. I think. Um. I. D- I mean. I would definitely put Barty ahead of her as in the pecking order for Roland Garros. I think Barty's right at the top there. Um. I also think the the court Philippe Chatrier is perfect for for Ash Barty. Uh, just think that really wide, big run off the backdrop and everything is perfect for her type of game. I don't know why, but it just that just feels like like it is almost for Nadal. That opportunity for her to just spread the court. I don't think it's quite as easy to just blitz your way through somebody um when they've got that much distance around the court to run into and and get it back. I think the 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 visuals for a player are different. Uh, there's, there's a lot of factors there. Um, but it's it's yet another fascinating ingredient that goes into these tournaments coming up over the next um, few months.
3: Where is Sabalenka in your order
1: behind Barty? I would think she's about fourth or fifth, something like that. You know, I I, I think you, you'd have to put Simona Hallep ahead, um, and I think. Iga would be ahead, being the defending champion. Um, she might squeak into fourth, but then I also think. Would you put Muguruza you know, ahead?
2: Mm. I would put Muguruza ahead. I think F- fully if she's fit.
1: fit. I think I think I would as well. Um, and then I think, where do I put Serena Williams? Because she mm. beat Zabalenka just a couple of months ago.
3: That increasingly
1: looks like a great win, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it was. It was a really good win, uh, and I think. I My mind always goes back to that quote from Williams when she, the sudden realisation of what she was faced with and she just said, oh, you want to go power? Okay. <laughs> and she just loved it. She loved that gauntlet being thrown down, but she recognised that she was up against somebody with similar firepower, um, even to her at her best. So it's going to just be really, really interesting. I, I think... Ashbarty's um, canister, to use a bit of our recent parlance, is going to be interesting to witness as well. Just to see whether there's any using up of her resources over the because I mean she's had a lot of tennis and now she, she's playing Rome. I assume mm. I mean, it's it's a lot.
2: Yeah, I'm sure we'll get on to Rome, but I think she's in Sabalenka's quarter, so they could meet for a fourth time in the last few weeks um yeah i mean she doesn't strike me as someone who really pushes herself to the absolute brink when she plays she, i i feel like she's very aware of her energy levels and what she needs to win a match but i agree she is playing every week at the moment this it, it must be a factor fatigue i i guess that i guess the 2 weeks between rome and roland garros could could end up helping her she can play rome She's got two weeks ahead of Roland
1: Garros. I don't think it's going to be a factor, personally. I think she looks fresh. She looks happy. Mm. She's so fit. I mean, what an athlete. As long as she doesn't get any injuries, I think she's just loving the challenges out there. Um, And and at the moment, there's still a freshness about her. So I think she'll be all right. Uh, And as you say, there's those built-in gaps. There we are, Irina Savalanka, the champion in Madrid, and uh, and a quite fantastic performance. She did a little dance at the end, which uh, which I don't, I don't know what that was in reference to, um, and I won't be trying to replicate it anytime soon. It was an soon. original, was it? Oh,
3: <laughs> well, I either that it. or something from TikTok.
2: <laughs> right, I don't have TikTok. And then she very nearly had the trophy. Blasted out of her hands at the shock of the confetti cannon.
1: (laughs) It Mm. does take you by surprise, doesn't Mm. it? Especially because you hear the bang first, and then you're like, (laughs) "What the hell was that?" And then you're, "Oh, there's the streamers." I I
3: think if anything involving a cannon is happening in your proximity, you you should be warned about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, uh, I think you're right. Uh, Any first-time winner there? jumps up in the air. Uh, <laughs> Rafael Nadal just sort of shrugs. <laughs> but, um, anyway, he got knocked out long ago. Um, actually, uh, on that subject of Nadal losing 6 6-4, 6-4, he lost to Alexander Zverev and then Dominic team. What, what did you make of them before we get on to the, the people who played the final? Um, obviously, the, this event took place uh, later than the women's Tournament For all the reasons we've talked about in terms of the scheduling. So, but when we spoke on Thursday, I can't even remember if Nadal had played by then uh, against Ferrov. But I mean, no, I don't think he had, had he? No. Uh, what, what, um, are there, are there, is there any cause for concern, Catherine, in what you saw from Nadal in Madrid in terms of his prospects for the next two or three weeks?
3: No, I, he wasn't very good, definitely. He would, I mean, it was his competitive animalistic spirit that that made it less of a one-line one-sided scoreline than it could have been he he really wasn't very good at all he was dropping balls very short his returns i mean look i suppose in hindsight you could say well it did it to everybody with his serve you know impossible to return all the rest of it but he was dropping returns incredibly short um and his slice wasn't having that much impact against Vera he he just was far far from his best nadal um but i i really don't think he likes playing in madrid very much at all um you know it, it i think he loved being it's his least
1: successful of those yeah isn't
3: it? and <laughs> I know he's won five titles. I sort of take one of those out of the equation because it was before it moved to clay. So four titles. That is obviously extraordinary. But by Nadal's standards, it's it's peanuts, isn't it? It's been relatively, really unsuccessful for him over the years. I don't think he likes it there. Takeaway it being at home. Take away the fact that, and, and I'm sure we'll come on to talk about this. It, to me, it felt like the first, like the it felt like the first event where crowds were really a feature. It, there really were crowds in Madrid. You you heard them, you felt them. They affected things, and I think he loved that. But I, I think it was bad from Nadal, um, but I don't read too much into it for Roland Garros, other than that he could probably do with a with doing alright in Rome. You know, does it doesn't necessarily have to win it, but I do think he he, he could do with not losing that early in Rome.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I thought he started the match quite well against Ferev. He was four two up and then in and then in his own words he did a disaster.
3: Oh this is... Such great words,
2: <laughs> and and it was it was uncharacteristic from Nadal that he would have a bad game, and it would it would it would fester, but it did. And from that point on, his forehand was, as Catherine said, either dropping short or just spraying an unforced error. And it, it was strange for me; it did feel like a step back after the sort of progress he'd made in Barcelona and at the start of Madrid, where he looked like he was really confident again. Um. But I do think there's something in that matchup against Veret. That, that that is becoming quite an interesting head-to-head. Veros won their last three, their last six sets. Nadal still leads the head-to-head five-three. But if if you dig down into that, even some of those wins were very hard fought. Five sets at the Australian Open, saved a match point in Indian Wells, three-set final in Rome where the rain intervened and sort of stopped Veros momentum. I think there's something in that matchup that Nadal doesn't like. Is it Djokovician? Well, exactly. One of the explanations I have is that Nadal loves to hit his forehand into right hand as backhand, but that is playing directly into the Zverev strength in the same way that it is when he plays Djokovic. So it almost feels like it's one of those matches when Nadal has to to adjust to his opponent rather than the opponent having to adjust to Nadal, which isn't. So often the case. um I think Zverev's wins recently have come in conditions which have favoured him indoors and at altitude. So it'd be interesting if they play somewhere else. I believe they're in the same quarter in Rome, which I think would tell us a lot more about how that matchup could potentially unfold at Roland Garros, for example. um But yeah, not a great week from Nadal, but it, it doesn't affect how I view his Roland Garros prospects. Um, for team, I was quite disappointed by his performance in the semi finals certainly while I was watching it quite a lot of sloppy errors i he didn't I didn't feel like he really had a lot of, a lot in him He wasn't he, he wasn't didn't digging get going deep. did he never got going um but if I take a step back, I think it's a, understandable that he would have a setback after not playing for six or seven weeks. And I think he wasn't too worried. I think he got what he wanted out of Madrid, possibly even more. And he's really viewing this as building towards Roland Garros. And you know, I'm, I'm more positive about Dominic Team than I was before the week because we saw him play some good tennis. He was surprised he got as far as he did, didn't he? Wasn't yeah. he Dominic Team?
3: Um, yeah, he wasn't expecting to reach the semis.
1: I wonder how much he needs from here to become a threat. It, has he got enough time
3: uh, there's definitely time it, it it will be interesting to see what he does with his schedule i mean i think I think if he wins rome fine he's set if he loses let's say he loses that's unlikely
1: though isn't it because i mean he you know I, I i'm only saying that in that he's semi finals
3: final of rome he's fine Let's say he goes out quarterfinals of Rome with, a, with another subpar performance. Could take a world card into Geneva, something like that. You know, I, I could see him thinking, yeah, I'll, mm. I'll sign myself up for some more matches. But I don't think he's going to be pulling the trigger on that before, before he sees how Rome pans out.
2: Yeah. I'm also mindful that he went into the US Open... In no form at all. He got he got absolutely thrashed by Krajanovic in the Western Southern mm-hmm. Open. Yeah. And then he's, he, he used those early rounds of that tournament, which I think you can do a little bit more with the best of five sets and being seeded. I can't think of an unseeded player, potentially John Isner. If John Isner's unseeded, he's dropped out of the top 30. I don't know where he would be. With the seedings, but there's, there's not many unseeded players that I would think would cause team that many problems over five sets on clay. It's, if he has a decent Rome, he might go to Lyon or Geneva. But even if he didn't, I think he can he can use those early rounds to to build some confidence and some level on the clay.
3: I think he'll mm. be fine. I do. Yeah, he
1: uh, he did well actually to get through Isner, the mm. man you mentioned, because Isner really played some fabulous. Fabulous tennis in Madrid. He looked a real threat, didn't he, on that court, and won the first set against Team. And I thought he was going to take him out. I really did, and uh, and I actually think that's quite a credit to Team that he found a way through that. Because there are moments when Isner's playing like that, where the opponent is just kind of irrelevant. Um, They don't. I think you said to me, Catherine, halfway through that match, I have no idea how well dominant Team is playing because Mm. he's not really being able to do anything he can't he can't get the ball back he can't actually get it's 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 kind of like physically po- impossible for him to get to the serve so how can we know whether he's playing any good or not
3: yeah I, I can't imagine anything worse than than playing John is I mean generally but also pff, your Dominic team you're on clay and at and at altitude, you know, M- Madrid, Madrid is often compared to Indian Wells, isn't it? In terms of the way way it plays, the ball sailing, sailing through the air. It's obviously the exact circumstances different, but the the comparisons certainly are there. And team won his first Masters title in Indian Wells, played some of his best tennis. You know, you've got clay beneath your feet, and you're looking down the other end of court. You see a big lump of an American. And uh, and you might as well not be there, <laughs> just trudging from side to side. I mean, it must just oh, what a, just awful. Just yeah, I mean, and the but, ball's
1: coming down at angles that you're just not used to.
3: Yeah, look, I'm exaggerating for comedy effect. John John Isner had a lot more to his game uh, than just the serve in Madrid. It very much conditions assisted, I think. Um but he I mean, we played a couple of interviews with him on Prime. He he just had this spring in his step. He looked quicker in Madrid than I've ever seen him before. He obviously just gets out of bed at the crack of dawn and goes, I'm in Madrid, things are great. Like he just loves it there, loves those conditions. <laughs> um Yeah. But I, I thought that I thought that was a cracking performance from team with so few matches under his belt to come through that one, because he could have just gone, oh, for goodness sake, mm. screw this.
1: Forget this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> other, other half of the draw, Matteo Berrettini came all the way through to the final, which is not what I expected. I thought my man, Kasper Rude would take him out, um, as we know. Um, but he got he got done in, in the semifinals. What a performance from Berrettini, Matt. I mean, he's... He's won me over. Uh, we've we've talked about it a couple of times. I, I've sort of been won over by him as a bloke because he just seems like a he seems like a really nice fella. Um, it comes across very well in interviews, and his game. We'll talk about the final in a minute, but I mean his game is is really potent, and he's he's looks like there's actually room to grow yet further to me.
2: I've been trying to work out whether he's a much better player than I realized or whether he's improved a lot. And I hope I've come down on the side that he's improved a lot because it feels that way to me. His forehand I've always known about, but it seems even better. And more than anything, it seems like he's getting his forehand into play more. He's, he's, he's covering that backhand. I think the backhand's probably improved. But the way he gets his feet rounding, brings his forehand into play is incredible. It is so, so good. He uses that as a weapon. And I think in all the matches I saw him play this week, he was the playmaker. He was the one dictating. He was the one setting the pace, trying to play it on his terms. And I loved watching that. And more than anything, he had this hunger about him this week. And I think a lot of that stemmed from the injury he, he suffered in Australia. I think he was really ready for this season and he was playing really well. And to be sort of struck down in his prime like that, I think hurt him and made him even more motivated to get back that positive feeling that he had and to put in the work. And he was, yeah, he he, he, was, he was a joy to watch this week. He, he, he really was.
3: Yeah, I didn't know Berrettini was this good. Honestly, and I, I've had the same crisis as Matt. Was I just not paying attention, not making the right assessments, or has he got significantly better?
1: I think we thought he was a flash in the pan based on a couple of good weeks. I, th-
3: yes, I, I think I thought, I, I'm, I said this on our chat earlier. I think I have a quite a subconscious built-in snobbery about. The forehand dominant, you know, big serve, big forehand style of play, because I think it, it's to to generalise massively a, a bit out of date now, um, and and it, and these days it's not enough to get you to the very top of the game. You there is nobody at the very top that has a glaring weakness. You know, with all due respect to Andy Roddick, I'd say he's probably. The last player um, that reached number one, one Grand Slams, slam um, with a with a glaring weakness that he improved throughout the course of his career, but he was he was that template of player. Um, and look, I, I loved watching Andy Roddick; he was one of my favourite players. I'm not, but I do think, very generally, I've developed a snobbery about that style of game, and I had sort of filed him away in that category. And I suppose very broadly, he is that. Um, but he's an extremely superior version of that. Um, and yeah, there's just so much more to him than I than I realised. I didn't know he had a sliced backhand like he showed us this week. I really didn't. Pro- not just a rally ball... I don't want to hit my topspin forehand because it's not that good a shot, so I'll throw in a slice, slice, backhand. a prop uh, backhand. Yeah, a proper. I'm going to do you damage and make you really uncomfortable with this knifed, low shot slice, a real weapon of a slice. And yeah, his his footwork blew me away. I I didn't know he was this good, and I didn't know he had this much hunger. And maybe that I, I think it is partly pandemic and injury propelled but whatever it is I'm I'm here for it it's great
1: well the thing with the the pandemic is he he made me feel like he had the appetite to improve when just when he did that Instagram live with Chris Evers and and she was just talking to him and his girlfriend Ila Tomljanovic and and they and he just seemed so determined to try to make the best of it and to improve and I, I kind of I was I was, t- I, I, I was conv- persuaded by him but at the same time I, d- I thought that I'm not sure how much you can improve I didn't really know that th- that what he's doing now was possible so you know great credit to him and uh, and he got those wins over first Christian Gary who he had to come from behind in and, and win 11 games out of 12 I think it was something like that 11 games um, in a row Eleven games in a row in order to win that um, yep. which, which he did um, and uh, and yeah he he did, he did a brilliant job i mean he 's an interesting story he 's coached by Vincenzo Santa Padre, a former player who was around when I was on the ATP circuit as a communications manager. I remember going to his dad 's restaurant once in Rome plummina <laughs> <hell>, it 's nice. <laughs> Anyway, best restaurant I'd ever been to in my uh, 20s. Um, and he's, his manager is Ivan Ljubicic, which is, you know, Ivan Ljubicic has got a, a, a management agency, which is all a bit strange because he's also Roger Federer's tennis coach. Um, and he's not his manager. So, uh, you know, exactly how it all works. I don't know. But I'm not that surprised that Ivan Ljubicic is, is somebody's manager and agent because he was the first in line at the ATP University in 1998 to, to talk to the financial expert and get lots and lots of advice about all that. And he, um, he he's always had his head screwed on like that. But um, I, I think... Berrettini seems just like he's going in the right direction, as we see from his results. Um, he's, what, 10 in the world? And uh, and he's made this final, and he's faced Alexander Zverev, and he led by a set to love. Um, cracking set of tennis, I have to say. Um, tie break that he led 5-love. Berrettini, eventually, it was pulled back to 5-4. He had set points, then Zverev had set points, and eventually Berrettini won it. But Zverev came back to win the match, and I sort of felt like I don't know what you thought. My feeling generally was that experience won the day on that stage. In that, Zverev wins these tournaments. He hasn't cracked it at Slams, but he wins Masters one thousand tournaments. And what was that? It was his fourth one. Um, I think he just he outlasted him. Really, what did you think?
2: It strikes me that he has a style of play that he can fall back on. And it gets him through matches, even though he might not necessarily feel like the better player in them. As I said, Berrettini was the one dictating, the one who looked in position to win. But Zverev defended well and he returned well. And he just made a lot of balls and kind of just stuck around. And in the end, in the end, kind of outlasted Berrettini, as you said. Um, but I think I think Berrettini will have some regrets about that, about that match. I, th- I thought he put it fantastically in the speech where he said, tennis is a crazy sport. This should be a brilliant moment for me. This has been a big week in my career. But I lost and I, I feel terrible. And yet I kind of feel like I should be celebrating my first Masters final. I thought that was a really interesting perspective from Berrettini. And I, th- I think he felt like that because... I think he knew that was on his racket. He he was getting in position to win it, and he didn't just didn't quite execute. And Zverev was solid was solid enough to take advantage.
3: Yeah, Daniela and Greg in in the prime studio <laughs> were sort of looking on at that defeat for Berrettini as sort of wise elders, sort of nodding along, going, "This is this is a pain you have to go through." In order to achieve in the future, they they definitely shared your your view, Matt, that he lost that match due to his inexperience. Sverev, um, I think, did a great job of falling back and exploiting his greater experience of using that as a well of confidence. Um, but that match was absolutely on Berrettini's racket, and I hope he. He, yeah, he was the playmaker out there, which given the kind of tennis that Zverev had been playing all week is is pretty incredible. Um and I and I hope it does hurt because hungry Berrettini, point to prove Berrettini, is something I've really enjoyed. And if this this is a pain that makes him hungry for six hungrier for success in the future, then then um at the risk of sounding sadistic. I'm, I'm glad he's going through it right now. That sounds horrible, doesn't it? <laughs> I hope, I hope, uh, I hope I've explained that <laughs> sufficiently to not sound like an absolute maniac.
1: She means it in a good way. <laughs> <I> do. <laughs> um. So Zverev wins this title. Um. I still feel quite empty really when I watch his matches at the moment because I think this is the first big title he's won since the allegations were made against him late last year by his former girlfriend Dalia Sharipova. Um, allegations which he as we know denies um, but which have just it seems been left now. We, we, we haven't heard anything more of them um, but I personally I personally can't Really watch his matches without that being there somewhere in my subconscious, um, and I think he was very impressive over the course of the week. But he, it, it's it's not something that I can completely separate in my mind um, from from what I'm watching. Can you?
3: No, absolutely not. Look, it's 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 my job to talk about the tennis, and I can. I can talk about the tennis you know my job is to ask questions about the tennis and and his tennis was brilliant this week but on a on a personal level do I find find joy in watching it no I don't it's an it's an extremely uncomfortable place to be in and I think not not just because of what the allegations are and all of that but sort of the in, inertia of the situation of, oh, is this just it now? This is just, this is just how we have, this is how we have to feel for, for sort of forevermore about the situation. You're sort of waiting for some sort of, not resolution, but, but progress or action, something, you know, that I feel a real anxiety and inertia about it, about it all. Um, and I don't think, don't, I don't think any sort of resolution is is going to come about how how it how it should be approached so we all have to find our own our own peace with how we approach it I suppose I'm sure I'm sure we'll get some emails off the back of this saying he's won a tennis tournament just talk about the tennis why do you have to mention you know we're we're saying how we feel about it. It it compromises how I feel about his winning. Um, it doesn't it doesn't affect my ability to say he play, played great tennis this week. He did. He played brilliant tennis this week. Um, he was a worthy winner, and as the rules stand, he is absolutely has every right to be playing on the ATP tour. Do I find great joy in it? No, I don't. It's an uncomfortable situation at the moment.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah. I mean, candidly, I don't know what the best approach is and how to talk about it. Uh, We can only do and say what we feel is right. Um, Our job is, is to report on the tennis and we can't look the other way and pretend that Zverev doesn't exist. And we wouldn't want to do that. He has every right to be playing and he's winning. He's playing well. We're talking about that, but neither can we scrub the allegations from our memory. And, you know, we can remind people that they exist. We can remind people that Zverev denied them and we can remind people where they can read Olya's story and that that should be listened to and respected. And I guess I'm most mindful of of, of our tone, I guess, when we talk about Zverev, you know, just just trying to keep all that in mind while focusing on his tennis and just not being sort of overly heavy-handed with praise, you know, that we might shower on him. Um, that's that's kind of the approach I've decided to take and some people might think that's wrong, but that's, that's kind of just how I feel and I
1: think you're both the same. Hmm. Mm. Do you think he's shown anything uh, with this victory that would lead you to believe, like we've talked about, with Sabalenka, that there's more on the horizon for him in terms of success?
3: Look, he was brilliant this week. He has won Madrid before in 2018. I don't, personally, I don't think he's shown us anything new or a new level that we didn't know he had. I think he's shown us, he's shown us that, The scar tissue from the US Open might have healed a bit. I think he's shown us that he's mentally in a decent place. And, you know, there were opportunities for his serve to really fail him this week, for those demons on the second serve the, the double faultitis to really rear its head. And there were moments, you know, he double faulted in the first set tie break against Berrettini today, which he ended up losing. And at that point, you thought, oh, it's happening. It's happening. It just, you know, you just had to reach the threshold of pressure and it would inevitably happen. But actually it didn't. There was a smattering of double faults today, but it was never the the landslide and the sort of falling off, off the edge of a cliff um so i i think he's shown us that he's you know in a good place i don't think he's shown us anything new this week that we've never seen before i think we we knew that he had this level in him
1: hmm. yeah he he basically needs to do that at roland garros w- up against Superior mm. opponents to those. I mean, that's not to say he didn't. He beat Nadal and he beat Team, but he's he's now got to do that there mm. in order to in order. To, I think mm. for me at least to make me feel differently about how his prospects are going to be going forward.
3: Mm. And and look, look at look at the winners we've had: Sabalenka and Banzverev. I. It's a very tricky. Tri- tricky one to articulate because I really don't want to take anything away from them but I don't think we're going to have the same winners next week in Rome you know the conditions are a factor in Madrid how much they're a factor is always going to be up for up for debate but those are condition assisted wins and that's what's wonderful about tennis the fact that conditions vary so much probably more than any other sport Um but yeah, time time will tell. What a boring, mm. what a boring conclusion to that point <laughs> I was making.
1: I always <laughs> rely only on time that. will tell. Indeed. Um, right, let's rattle through a few more things. Uh, electric line calling on clay, yes or no? We've had it this week for the first time.
3: I quite like Fox. I like the mm. video replay.
2: Mm.
1: That's no, not it? having it. It's a big no for me.
2: I, I think it works on hard courts and grass courts because while it's accepted that that there's a margin for error it's the best evidence you have of where the ball landed the problem with on on clay you've got direct contrary evidence which is what you're seeing with your eyes but some
3: would say matt that actually what you see with your eyes with the mark can be deceiving because there's the scatter of the top dressing
2: yeah i'm sure but They're very good at reading marks. They've been doing this for years. They know how to read marks. And I think they
3: get the wrong mark that happens.
2: That I think is where technology could be used to identify the mark or I'd like to see them use the line judges more, get the line judges up to to point to the mark. I just think the
1: 84 final with McEnroe. Yes.
3: Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, no, that's, yeah, I'm hi- I'm definitely here for that. They've had a tough year, line judges, line judges, haven't they? Let's yeah, let's elevate them. Let's make them the stars of the show. Um, I I I just didn't hate old Fox Ten as much as a lot of people hated it. This way. I don't think it's the perfect solution, i I think 1984 style line judges probably is, but um yeah I, okay I, well unpopular opinion i didn't hate it
1: let <laughs> <But> us know <laughs> what Matt you now think.
3: hates me no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> just a difference of opinion it's all fine um now in the doubles in the men's doubles we had uh uh, ahead of a comeback from Horacio Zeballos and Marcel Granollers who lost the first set 6-1 against Nikola Mektić and Damato Pavic, came back and won the title I think it's the first Spanish player ever to win the doubles title which is uh, which is a heck of an achievement from Granollers so well done he to was, him
3: they were chuffed a bit they were you wouldn't have given them a cat in hell's chance after the first set Sam Smith said in commentary it was barely worth sweeping the court after the first set <laughs> Oh, goodness. It really it was that one-sided. And with the scoring system in doubles, no ads, and obviously the match tie break, it's, it's quite rare to get really one-sided score lines yeah. because it is it is an evener, a, a leveler. That's what you say, isn't it? That's not a word, evener. What am I talking Evening? about?
1: Um, it's, it's a leveler. The, the
3: scoring system is a, is a leveler. Um, so, you know, real marker of how dominant Mektic and Pavic were. And they were aiming for a... Sixth title of the season, I think. Mektic-Pavic, I mean, they've just been utterly dominant. So that was a massive win for Granoia Zabajos.
1: And who won the women's doubles?
3: Siniarkova and Krajikova.
1: Oh, yeah, who we talked about earlier this year. Mm, That's
3: fantastic. They were Roland Garros champions in 2018. So you might have to think of them maybe as favourites to go and do that again.
1: Hmm. Oh, I wish you watch with interest. Now, Rome is coming up, starts, um, well, it's already underway, isn't it? Um, and there's there's some great early round matches. I mean, it's just absolutely packed draw. Um Dan Evans is up against Taylor Fritz as we record it, um, just after midnight. Uh, that's coming up in about seven hours. Um, winner to play <laughs> Novak Djokovic in round two. Uh, in th- so so that you know that could be a, an Evans Djokovic rematch from Monte Carlo. Uh, Yannick Sinner against Ugo Umber, Winner to play Nadal in round two. Ubert Urkach against um, Lorenzo Massetti. Uh, possible Karatsev and Medvedev second round. Blimey, I wouldn't mind that. Uh, Djokovic could play Sitsaplas uh, and in the quarters, and Nadal could face Zverev. And in the women's draw, Asaka and Serena in the same quarter. And when we actually looked at the sort of the projected quarterfinals from the draw absolutely barnstorming it was. However, unfortunately, uh, we're not going to have Bianca Andrescu in the draw because she has decided not to play, not to travel to the Italian Open, um, she said, because uh, she was at risk of uh, having to isolate again, even though she'd uh, tested negative following her positive recent COVID test. So, um, yes, Bianca Andrescu is uh, is not going to be playing in Rome. Is struggling to catch a break. Yeah, she really is. And it's a shame. Mm. Uh, a couple of other bits of news. Um, two players who've separated from their dads as their coaches. Sophia Kennan um, recently has uh, has decided to do that um she said she will be forever grateful for her dad's sacrifice and contributions but is excited to put together a new technical team um doesn't sound like that's been the easiest thing in the world really for severe Kennan from the way she's uh, spoken caroline garcia is somebody who's i think people have been talking and me included about whether she should Try to add to her coaching setup for years, um, but she's always had her father Louis Paul by her side, um, and she's decided she needs a new approach if she's to win big titles. And she's going to work with the the veteran coach Gabrielle Urpi who's um, who's she's been training with at the Rafael Nadal Academy. Uh, she said it was her decision, so it'd be very interesting to see how those two both get along in the next few weeks. So. That's pretty much rounds up everything tennis-wise. Mascot time, and um, we have got an absolutely belting pair of mascots for the week. Uh, you'll have to might have to correct me on pronunciations here. I'm going to try my best. Uh, British short hair cats, Chibi and Stephanus. How? Well, we're confident
3: that? about Stephanos, aren't we? Pronunciation wise.
1: Is that a I'd like to think so. After, anyway, um, Matt? it is. Oh, it
2: fantastic.
1: absolutely is. They're beautiful, aren't they? We've got a picture of them here. White, fluffy cats. Should Petros
3: sits a pass be offended that Chibi,
2: Chibi isn't Petros? Well, no, I think Chibi's older. Oh, OK. Mm. So the next one might, might have to be Petros, which I'm pretty sure would be the first creature named after Petros
1: pass <laughs> in the world. <laughs> I think Petros should be fairly pleased with how things are going Really, generally at the moment. <laughs> Yes. um yeah so um we have our own mascots uh i have rogue right? rogue we had a cracking week well done on inspire me uh matt has got scouse or mousel uh catherine's got zeus Billie jean has been down the pub all week uh disgracing herself getting uh getting absolutely legless uh she's Billie been jean living
3: my best
1: life yeah so you know have a, have a word with billy jean will you Billie Jean Um, and uh, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer and top bloke and Matt shout outs Simon Lambert right Simon like Ricky Lambert like Solly (laughs) Hall Simon
3: imagine that combo Solly Hall Simon meets Ricky Lambert
1: Solly Hall Simon hit an underarm serve to me the other week
3: (laughs) what a hero what was yeah. your
1: reaction?
3: Was to hit he cramping? a blinding winner,
1: Matt. Oh, was he cramping
3: was. or was it tactical? Well, Were he, was you six, cramping?
1: he was 6 1 5 2 down at the time. So you, you make it that way. Oh, you it will. was a tank. <laughs> uh, who else we got, Matt? <laughs> We've got Josh Boehm. Right, Josh.
3: Like, like, how are we spelling that? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this correctly. B-O-E-H-M.
3: Oh, like Lab-O-M.
2: Oh,
1: brilliant. Thanks ever so much for your support, hang on, Josh.
3: Hang on, not like Lab-O-M at all.
1: We needed something, Catherine. That'll do. <laughs> uh, Matt, what else we got?
2: <laughs> We've got now one of our friends from last year who provided one of our
1: favourite shout-out moments. It is Sally-Ann Law. Oh, me and sally Ann now, we're <laughs> mates. She wrote to me, did sally Ann after that. And uh, we've become pen pals. So, um, you know, we're not related, but, you know, we get on. You could and be. She's got a cracking name. Uh, so there we are. Thank you all for your wonderful support uh, in our Kickstarter, which crowdfunds the Tennis Podcast so that we can produce all these shows at the middle of the night. And, um, yeah, we'll be back again a little bit later in the week on Thursday to look back or to look at what's gone on so far in rome by that point uh matt thank you Catherine's about to yawn she's just holding it in and now she's gonna (laughs) go to bed because she's uh, worked very hard this week uh thanks all of you for listening and for your your nice words and letters and, and support and we will speak to you soon
0: it.